Welcome to another podcast on the Word of God with Father Reed Henseling, All Saints Episcopal Church in Lakeland, Florida. So glad that you can join us today as we look at the week of Second Epiphany. Second Epiphany. Now we'll be looking at a continuation of the scriptures that we spoke about last week, namely Isaiah, Ephesians, and Mark. Isaiah, Ephesians, and Mark. Now you might ask yourself or want to ask me, does your translation matter? I think it does, to be honest with you. I like the ESV, the English Standard Version. I like the RSV, 1971. I like the NIV, 1978. The New King James Version is a good one. The New American Standard Version is a good one. I'd start with there if you're looking for a Bible. Um, what kind of Bible should I get? Should I get notes? Depends on if you want to read the notes. I think the notes are helpful at the bottom of the page or notes that talk about the chapters you read in, as you begin each chapter. Sometimes, though, people just need to read the text. Read the verses. Read the chapters. And this is what I like about the daily lectionary class. It's a systematic reading of the scriptures. In this case, as I said earlier, Isaiah, Ephesians, and Mark. And you read those. So, on Sunday you read these verses. On Monday you read these verses. On Tuesday you read these verses. And we provide a link so that you can read them and find them. If you want to have your own book, this is called The Book of Common Prayer, 1979. And you'll want to look at Week of Second Epiphany in the daily lectionary office, okay? Now, the daily office is about morning and evening prayer and noonday prayer on a daily basis, of course, daily office. And what's also provided are the scriptures for that day. Now, on Sunday, we have the Old Testament reading. We have a New Testament reading. We have a gospel reading. Between the Old and New Testament, we have a psalm. I'm not going through the psalms with you, but certainly I would strongly recommend reading the Psalter if you would like. Okay, let's go back now and look at Isaiah 43 and 44, where we left off last week. Now, if you go to Isaiah 43, verse 18, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What he's doing is he's telling the people of Israel that he's doing something new through the prophet Isaiah. So they want to listen to the prophet because the prophet is speaking the word of the Lord. And he says in verse 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Now that is an eternal truth that's fabulous. Here's a good example of something that's eternal. I will blot out your transgressions. I will not remember your sins. Now, obviously, one has to confess their sins and be sorry for their sins for him to do this. But if you find yourself, for example, sinning egregiously or sinning in any way before the Lord, and you want him to blot them out and not remember them, you and I need to confess them. Be truly sorry and move away from them, and he will not remember them. In chapter 44, we continue with Isaiah 
He talks about the fact that besides me there is no God. Look what he says in verse 6 of chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Anybody like me? I'm the first. I'm the last. Later, Jesus says in Revelation that he's the first and the last. The beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. Look at verse 8. It's very comforting. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Are you, and are, you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. We live in a time where there are multiple gods and there are multiple views about God. The Old Testament is very clear who the true God is. And then later in the New Testament, the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, will declare that he is the true God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now we're back to the idea of idols again in 44.9. In 44.9, where we look at the idea that all who fashion idols are nothing and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Again, read slowly. You're going to love these scriptures that talk about who God is and who is not God and how he sees the world and how he sees those that do not follow him. So please enjoy your reading of chapter 44. At the end of the chapter, he talks about the redemption and how he's going to redeem Israel. I have blotted out your transgressions, verse 22, like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me. I have redeemed you. I'm going to save you. Return to me. Repent of your sins. Don't do evil things. Do the word and the will of the Lord. Chapter 45 and 46 are the following days. He talks about, I am the Lord again, verse 5 of chapter 45. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know, verse 6, from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. I mean, I don't know how God can make it more clear that there is no other God but him. That when we have other gods and we cast idols and we, and we make molten calves, and we do crazy things with wood and, and um, silver and gold. They can't talk. They can't act. They can't do anything. I form light and create darkness. Verse 7, I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. That's a very deep verse. And so, the Lord is the only Savior. The Lord is the only Savior. And so as you read through this, look at verse 18 of 45. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. Who created the universe? Who created everything? God Almighty. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. I do not, I do not speak in secret in the land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Z Jacob, seek me in vain. I speak the truth. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So if you want to know what's right in your life, if you want to know what to do and what not to do, you will follow the scriptures. You will read the scriptures. You will study them. You will think about them. You will digest them. And so Isaiah is a beautiful, particularly from 40 to 66, beautiful series of chapters, particularly in the 40s and the early 50s, about who God is and how great he is.
In chapter 46, the idols of Babylon and the one true God. The idols of Babylon cannot do anything. God will eventually destroy them in the process. Chapter 46, the whole chapter 1 through 13. Look what he says in verse 8 and 9, typical of Isaiah. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Again, he's establishing who he is. He establishes himself beyond anyone else. He declares the end from the beginning, verse 10, from ancient times, things not set. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God is able to do what he wants to do because he is the creator of you and me of the universe and his plan is the one that stands. That's the plan we need to follow. Let's look at the last half of Ephesians chapter four, five, and six. There are six chapters. We looked at the first three chapters last week. Again, Ephesians is just fabulous. You can't go wrong in reading Ephesians. Take your time in reading them. I'm looking forward to reading them as we deal with uh, the second Sunday after the Epiphany, Epiphany 2. And again, there's so many different doctrinal ideas that Paul has as he's dealing uh, with the book of Eph uh, the people of Ephesus. Look what he says in verse 25, very practical, of chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors. We are members of one another. Speak the truth, do not lie. Secondly, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun down, go down in your anger. Very wise counsel. Give no opportunity to the devil. That's very wise counsel. counsel. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Don't steal. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up. What if everybody built everybody up instead of tearing people down? That, wouldn't that be great? Verse 30, do not grieve the Spirit of God. And I can go on and on. So you go through these verses and you analyze, am I doing what God says? Do I understand what he wants me to do? Is he empowering me to do the right thing? Is he empowering me to do what this scripture says? Now, obviously, this is God's will that we do not lie, we do not steal, we do not let corruptible talk come out of our mouth. <coughs> we give no opportunity for the devil. And so not only do we have to understand what the words mean and we evaluate ourselves in the light of God's words, we have to pray about actually then doing what God said. So you might be on a journey of simply knowing what you're supposed to do or you might be very unfamiliar with the Bible and you're just trying to find out what it's about. But once you get to the point where you kind of understand what's going on and you know what you're supposed to do, then you've got to do it. And so he tells you what he wants you to do and how to do it. Therefore, be imitators of God as God's beloved children, chapter 5. Walk in love. So how am I supposed to live? You're supposed to walk in love. I'm supposed to walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, but in verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not be even named among you. No filthiness, verse 4, no foolish uh, talk, no crude joking. So there's, again, there's a foundation, which is doctrinal, which is about the faith, which is about dogma, about what we believe. And what's built on top of that is how we're going to act. So the bottom is being, the top is doing. 
The bottom is the faith. The top is how am I going to live out that faith? The bottom is theology. The top is ethics. Well, I can't act in an ethical manner if I don't know what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to know or the way I'm supposed to act. And that's what the theology does. And the theology is born out of the scriptures. That's why you have to know the scriptures and you have to read them. Okay? What is the theology behind it? How does God want me to behave? Well, he says it here in black and white. He says it in black and white. All right? Let's Let's go down to verse 15 of chapter 5. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine. Obviously, the Bible does not support drunkenness. For that's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk here. Be filled with the Spirit. Watch how you walk. Be wise. The days are evil. Better figure out what you're doing. This is why, again, the scripture is so important because it's telling you what it is you need to know, what it is that is true, what the truth is, and then how you're to walk in that truth. Chapter 6. Now, chapter 6 is a very, very wonderful chapter. Um, at the end of chapter 5, it, it has a beautiful exposition about wives and husbands. So those of you that want to know what God thinks about uh, marriage, he will be glad to tell you. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And so that discussion about marriage, which is a very significant um, lifestyle and up for lots of debate in our country, in our world today, here's what God has to say about it. Then in chapter 6, we, we talk about children and their parents. Here's what we're supposed to do regarding fathers. And then he talks about slaves. And then, beginning in verse 10, he talks about being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, Jesus took the devil very seriously. I know a lot of people that say that they're Christians don't believe in the devil. The Bible is a very strong believer in the devil. And Jesus was and Paul was. The scriptures are. He says in verse 12, very famous verse, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the pre this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now that's a mouthful right there, to say the least. Our battles in this life are against unseen powers, not by what we see, it's what we don't see. And then he tells you in verse 13 to take up the armor of God and how you can defend yourself against the power of the devil. Let me give you a quick synopsis. The devil is stronger than you and me. The only power that's stronger than the devil is the power of Jesus. So if you don't have the power of Jesus in your life and the covering of Christ, as he says in the scripture in chapter 6, 10 to 18, then you're defeated. Because you can't beat a supernatural power. You cannot beat a supernatural force that is against you. But if you have Christ in your life and you take verses 10 to 18 very seriously, you will have the power to overcome a supernatural power that's constantly working against you. Day in, day out. Working against you. Working against me. 
Take up the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, verse 14, we got the belt of truth. We got the breastplate of righteousness. We've got our shoes fitted for the gospel of peace. We've got the shield of faith. We've got the helmet of salvation. We got the sword of the spirit and we pray in the spirit. Those are wonderful weapons that we use, both protection and a weapon, the sword of the spirit, to protect ourselves and to ready ourselves and to deal with in a battle mode way, if you will, with the devil who tries to destroy us. His intention is to destroy us. His intention is to hurt us. You and I cannot take him upon ourselves. We have to do it in Christ. And so we have this wonderful um, picture of the reality of the way things are. Remember last week I talked about Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. That's our state, world, flesh, devil. Then he goes back to the idea of the flesh in chapters 4 and 5. And then in chapter 6, he talks about the power of the devil. Finally, he closes. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Beautiful chapter. Read it often. Read it regularly. Read it for all time. In Matthew chapter 5, we are continuing in the ministry of Jesus. And what you want to get out of Mark chapter 5, 6, and 7 you want to see all the different ways that Jesus is manifesting his power and his glory. So let's run through it fairly quickly. In chapter 5, 21 to 43, which is on Monday, he's healing a woman with an issue of blood and raising up Jairus' daughter, who's dead. Now, how many people do you know are raising people from the dead? And how many people you know, when they touch their garment, they're healed instantly? That's the kind of power that Jesus has. In chapter 6, he's rejected at Nazareth, his hometown. His people do not believe that he is who he says he is, even after he's done all this. The Bible says that they took offense at him, verse 3. And then he famously says in verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own household. He's got honor wherever he goes except one place in his hometown. And he could do no mighty works there except he laid a hand, his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went through their towns and villages teaching. Their lack of faith preempted them from receiving a healing of God. That's something to think about for sure. He sends out 12 apostles and gives them authority in chapter 6. And then we have this long conversation with the, depth, uh, the, dead, the death of John the Baptist's cousin. Very terrible death. Please read that. It's a very strong scripture about how uh, John the Baptist, as you know, was beheaded and his head was on a platter. Jesus feeds the 5,000 at the end of chapter 6, which is a very long chapter, and Jesus walks on water. So those are two extraordinary miracles. He, with a very small amount of food, Jesus says, come by and rest for a while. And then he has compassion on people because they were a sheep without a shepherd. He teaches them. It grows late. He says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. What do you have? Well, we've got five loaves and two fish. And the loaves were small and the fish were small. 
but 5,000 men were fed, and that does not include the women and children. Then he walks on water. Now, how many people can do all the things that I've just said in the last five to seven minutes? He walks on water, <clears throat> walks past them. <clears throat> he walks on the sea, they're in the boat. He says, take heart and desire, do not be afraid. He gets into the water, he gets into the boat, I'm sorry. He's walking on water, he's not actually in the water. And the wind ceases. So Jesus has the power over the wind and the waves. He is able to change the weather. He is actually ruler over the wind and waves. He can actually stand on water without sinking. Extraordinary. In chapter 7, there's more teaching. And so what we see in these scriptures that you're going to be uh, receiving, uh, we're going to see how Jesus, in those chapters, we are going to see the power of Jesus Christ in his teaching. We're going to see it in his healing. We're going to see it in his calming of a storm. We're going to see it in his healing of a man with a demon. We're going to see all the ways that Jesus acts faithfully in the Word of God. So, enjoy the scriptures this week. Second Epiphany. We'll look at the third Epiphany uh, in the following week. God bless you and have a wonderful week of reading and studying.